Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. everyone quick trigger warning we do mention uh rape and suicide in this episode so if you're not up to hearing about those things it's very brief mention but I always try to put it out there you'll you'll find out obviously if you listen to the episode why do we mention it but if you're not feeling up for it Feel free to visit one of the 340-something, 50, I don't know. I don't know where we're at right now. I always forget to check. Uh, Episodes we have, you can check out the categories on the website. It'll, you know, and find something that you're really interested in hearing about. But otherwise, I hope you enjoy this episode. I found it very informative uh, and something that is a serious problem. So, yeah. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Today I'm here with Katie. Katie is like, I think, a fourth time podcast guest. It's something ridiculous. Uh, she's been on before to talk about COVID. Um, that, and Katie was our like expert, uh, did, like during, I mean, we're still in a pandemic. Let's not forget that. <laughs> but like the heat, like the like really like things were out of control. Nobody knew anything. That's where we were at. Um, but we're, we're talking about different stuff today. Anyways, Katie (laughs) is a public health research evaluation and data professional with experience in international program development and evaluation, population health analytics in domestic public insurance, nonprofit senior leadership and graduate medical education. Oh, dang lady, you got a lot going on. (laughs) Uh, Her research career has spanned the HIV pandemic, the opioid crisis, Medicaid, and graduate medical education. The diversity in her experience allows her to appreciate the complexity and interconnectedness of our systems as it relates to public health and healthcare. As a trained epidemiologist, With a background in infectious disease, Katie has been responsible for directly crunching the numbers that uncover problems in pandemics, such as HIV and H1N1. I mean, people forget about H1N1. I was, I had my second daughter during that and like, it was wild. Anyways, um, her education includes training in psychology, you know, a little bit to my heart a BA, uh, public health, MPH. What's an MPH? Is that master's in public health? Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes. Uh, health <laughs> informatics, MSHI, and epidemiology, ABD on PhD. What's ABD? All but dissertation. All but dis- that dissertation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Katie, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to have you here because there are friends on Facebook and I was talking about how like it's a little love fest when, you know, people I know come back on and everything. It makes me so happy. Uh, So today we're going to talk about a bunch of things, but I wanted to kick it off with like burnout in the healthcare field. Like you work in public health, 
healthcare. We've talked about it. I've seen posts that you've posted. There's a lot of burnout going on. And there's actually a lot of people that are just leaving the field because they're like, I am fed up and I've had enough. Yep. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about that. There are a lot of people leaving the fields, healthcare and public health in general. Um, I was actually one of them for about a year. Um, I I had, as you know, because I came on the podcast and talked about it, but I um, had that Facebook group for the COVID-19 stuff when it first started. Um, And I did that for about a year. And then, um, I mean, I was working in Medicaid at the time too. And um, it was it was a lot. And I mean, I, I wasn't even working in the front lines, right. I'm in public health, so I wasn't a healthcare worker. Um, but it was a lot. And, um, in case anybody had failed to notice the internet got really bad over the last couple of yes. years. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it's, I, it's always had that potential to be really bad. And I knew some of that stuff was going to come out, but it's gotten really bad over the last couple of years. So I took a big step back and kind of reassessed what I really wanted and, mm-hmm kind of my place in it. And I'm not alone. A lot of people were doing that. A lot of people were doing that. And I, I know I'm lucky in some ways. And, and a lot of my colleagues in public health are really lucky in some ways because we don't have clinical degrees. Um, public health degrees can kind of go and do other public healthy things. Um, like I'm not a physician with a special with a specialty in like neurology or something. And that's the only thing that I can do. It's like, right. nope, um, I'm going I'm to get out of, I'm going to get out of like the infectious disease game for a while. And I'm going to go over here and do something else. That's totally different. Um, and a lot of people are doing that. Um, and even still some, some healthcare workers are going back to graduate school so that they can leave patient care. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people that are doing that right now, or they're going back to undergrad to get a different undergrad degree so that they can just go do something else um, or falling back on something else that maybe they did before they were, you know, in patient care in general. And so a lot of people are leaving um, and are trying to find some sort of exit ramp <laughs> because the last couple of years have been hard on literally everyone, but the healthcare and public health infrastructure, as far as people are concerned, have uh, taken a battering. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a lot of uh, friends, Facebook friends. I got to differentiate that because like, you know, I have my friends who I see all the time. And then I have my Facebook friends who I see online and some of it is like mixed. And other times it's like, oh, this is somebody I went to high school with like almost 20 years ago. And I barely know them anymore. But anyways, a lot in the healthcare field. And I've seen a lot of posts about how really rough it has been and how much disrespect, especially those that are like working in like hospitals and doctor's offices and stuff like that, how much disrespect they are dealing with, like straight up hatred. Like I know some, I know one who's just like, she just, she has been an RN for many years and she's like, I'm done. I'm stepping away. I am absolutely done with the disrespect. She was working in the ER and people who would come in, they don't want to wear their masks in the ER. They don't want to deal with anything. Uh, I have another friend who works in healthcare. She's not stepping away, but she was talking about how they have a COVID wing and one of the patients just walks right out. Just, and they're like, you have to go back to your room. You're going to infect other people. And he's just like, did not give a shit. And I was just like, 
how is this possible? Like, uh, this it's it's wild that um, people are being so disrespectful. You y'all are experts. I don't know anything. Like I had my thyroid removed recently and I'm not making assumptions about what's going on with me. I'm asking my doctor because they have a degree and they know far more than I do. (laughs) Yeah, it's been, it's been a lot. I, I had knee surgery earlier this year and um, my nurse anesthetist had actually recently transferred from um, emergency department to (laughs) working in an outpatient, um, mostly uh, facility focusing around knee surgery because he had just had enough of COVID stuff and he had been spit at. He had been attacked by people who had very strong thoughts and feelings about COVID stuff specifically. And yeah, he, I mean, we, we ended up chatting a little bit before my surgery and he was saying that his off ramp was like, okay, I can go into basically sports medicine um, and just deal with people who have torn ACLs, torn, you know, torn up knees kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and not have people spit at me. So I think I'm going to do that. So he started doing that. And he said that for his mental health, it was a necessary means and that it was one of the best choices that he had made. Yeah. And we are having a mental health crisis in this country. Well, we have been pre COVID and it's just increased so much um, since COVID because it was a collective trauma, right? We all, we talked about this on prior episodes we did. We all went through this. We all, I mean, everybody experienced it in different ways, but we all went through this. But in addition to that, healthcare workers are going through a mental health crisis on a level that I cannot even fathom. Like I can't, the things that they've had to deal with, the things they've had to see. I mean, the post that we saw going around at the beginning of COVID before we really knew anything and before we had any tools to do anything were horrific, like Mm -hmm. horrific, the things that people were seeing. And it's the mental health crisis isn't getting any better. It's not like we have more mental health professionals. We just have more people who need mental health care and insurance may not cover it. Or you might have to drive an hour to get, find somebody who will accept your insurance or have an opening like, um, and there's still tons of stigma, you know, that's my research. (laughs) So it's just, it's, it's wild. It's wild that, you know, we have this crisis going on and, and nothing is being done. Yeah, I know several therapists and um, their rosters are just filled with healthcare workers and public health professionals right now. Um, And there aren't enough mental health professionals to go around for the damage that's been done to Mm. our healthcare workers and and public health professionals. Um, And in general, there weren't enough mental health professionals around, like you said, before the pandemic even hit. But Um, Now, the people that were being lauded as heroes at the beginning of the pandemic, because of the way that they've been treated and because of what we've asked them to do, um, we've kind of broken them. And that's a completely predictable outcome, right? I mean, you put people in these very extreme situations and you ask them to deal with it for a, a prolonged period of time, like people are going to break. <laughs> That's yeah. what you can expect. Um, and so now we're having to deal with mental health crises from a lot of different directions, but not the least of which is our mental health um, in mental health in 
our healthcare workers and public health professionals is particularly strained right now. And the other thing that we need to that we need to remember, and that I think people are now starting to really get is with the monkeypox scare, is like we could number one be in multiple pandemics at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that even if we came out of the COVID pandemic tomorrow, which won't happen, but yeah. you know, even if we did do that, it's not like it's going to be another hundred years before another pandemic comes around. We will be asking the same from our healthcare workers and public health professionals. We will be asking them to step up again. And we need to really think about what that means as far as we need to be investing in people and we need to be investing in the well-being. <laughs> we yeah. need to make sure that people feel adequately prepared and not just from a training and how to do their job standpoint, but from a mental health perspective. And that we need to be providing people with, say, you know, coverage for mental health care and time for it too, yeah. because a lot of people have just been so overwhelmingly busy that it's hard to ever prioritize their own mental health care because we're just asking them to do so much. Um, yeah. And so it's, we really do need to take a long, hard look at it, um, though I fear that we won't. <laughs> and and because it is much easier to just kind of look at the problem and say, well, isn't that tragic? And then go about our business um, yeah. collectively instead of making sure that something happens. I think I've said this on the podcast before, the top three barriers to mental health care is affordability, accessibility, and stigma. Um, I'm not where I can argue the affordability or accessibility. Maybe someday I'll be in front of Congress and be like, listen, <laughs> let me tell you what. Uh, but yeah, it, it doesn't. It's like they put Band-Aids on it, right? They're like, oh, well, I mean, recently the president did pass something for mental health. And I was like, you're not helping the problem here. That's a Band-Aid. Um, but yeah, people aren't getting paid time off. Like you, then you have to take off time for work, childcare, childcare. Now you're paying for childcare, which is expensive. Oh yep. my gosh. Somebody on a local Facebook group is like, you have to pay them minimum wage. And I'm like, what, what happened to, I pay like <laughs> maybe $10 an hour. And now like in Connecticut, I'm going to be paying 13, $14 an hour. It's expensive. Minimum wage people should make more than minimum wage. But babysitting, I always thought in my head is like, dude, you're just making sure my kids don't burn down the house. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you're paying for childcare. Um, you're paying for gas now, which is outrageous. Like, oh my God, <laughs> like it's like almost five dollars a gallon here. And I'm like, I can't even afford to drive anywhere. <laughs> but you know, gas all these things. And that's if your insurance even covers it, right? Because a lot of insurances don't provide full coverage. Um, and if they do provide any coverage, these large co-pays, I mean, therapists still have to pay their bills. So we can't blame them. Like they still, and my therapist broke this down for me. Cause I was like, I meet with my psychiatrist for five minutes, just as a check-in. And he gets paid like a hundred dollars for that five minutes. And she's like, you have no idea how much they have to pay for like continuing education, insurance, you know, rent, all these things that they have to pay for. And she was like, 
trust me, they're not making as much money as you think they are. So Mm -hmm. all of these things need to be factored in. And again, like I said before, some people have to drive an hour just to find somebody who accepts their insurance and has an opening. And we're not taking this into consideration with, like you said, the already overworked healthcare workers who are working more than 40 hours a week. Sometimes you're talking about 60, 70 hours a week. Sometimes where are they going to find the time or the money or anything to prioritize their mental health? Yeah, I think we've been having this conversation um, collectively about kind of the perils of social media and how bad things can be on the internet. And one of the good outcomes of that is that some of the big um, social media platforms have started to provide some mental health services for some of their content moderators. Um, and it's a far cry from right what it should be. Right. And the things that we are asking people to basically call through and look and then go about their daily lives like they don't know how bad things can actually be is atrocious. But the reason that I bring that up is because we're basically asking that of our healthcare workers too. They, they see literal gore on a day-to-day basis and that, you know, that is part of the job, but for people that are, you know, working for social media platforms and doing content moderation, they are provided more access to uh, mental health resources in some ways than our healthcare workers are. And our healthcare workers have been going through a pandemic for the last couple of years. And like the things that they've seen, the things that they've been exposed to and the attitudes that they've been exposed to that are not their fault, but, you know, things are absolutely taken out on them. And we're just asking them to do an awful lot without actually providing them any real reprieve or, any real support. I mean, it's nice that for a while at 7 p.m. every night, people would go out and make noise for, you know, the hero healthcare workers, but that's, that is a very nice gesture. We need to actually be putting something behind that and showing support in actual ways of, you know, passing a bill that says, hey, if you're in, especially the the emergency department, for example, um, or Mm -hmm. if you're in, in, Um, hospital admissions, like, (laughs) you know, you need to have access to X, Y, and Z amount of time and resources dedicated to mental health professionals or having it on staff, psychiatrists, psychologists, that is for staff, not for patients, but for staff. Um, And just having having those resources really dedicated out and really spelled out (laughs) because, you know, if you can't, if you're having if you're really asking this much of people, like you need to be providing some sort of resources in order for them to continue to do the job that they would like to do, that they're trained to do and that they're experts in, but also they're human beings. I don't expect anybody to come out of this without a certain amount of post-traumatic stress and shell shock to some extent. Um, I mean, it's very, you know, I think we're, <laughs> we really are seeing an entire generation of healthcare workers and public health professionals be traumatized. And that's not good. I mean, we are not, we are not currently at war. Um, and yet we are creating a lot of trauma and some of it is sort of necessary because we are going through this horrible pandemic, but a lot of it's not, (laughs) a lot of it is not. Um, and even kind of the necessary stuff is, 
stuff that we should really be providing support for because it is, it's awful. Like we are, we, you know, what we passed, we surpassed a million deaths probably long ago, but the official oh, count months just ago. reached. Yeah. Yeah. But the official count just reached a million. And like, think about that. You were talking about people that have seen thousands upon thousands of people just perish and, and when they were working to save them, like that's, it takes a toll on your mind and body and soul. And we just really need to be supporting them. Yeah. Over a million deaths in two years. Like, yes, this all started Well, they're saying it may have started in like here in the United States, fall or winter of 2019, but like officially they say like it started here March of 2020. That's when everything like shut down. Right. So people like think in their head, like, Oh, it's been a lot longer than it has. No, it's been two years, two years of this. And we've, we've surpassed a million deaths. And then, and then let's not forget, like there's people are still dying of other things. Uh, Substance abuse is up dramatically so our suicide rates. And so now we're not only seeing like deaths for COVID and deaths for like that we typically see, but we're now seeing that de- like more deaths to substance, you know, abuse and to suicide than we did previously, which also is just as traumatic, just as traumatic. Um, it, it's just unfathomable to me what people have been seeing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's been just awful in general and not only what they've been seeing but what what they've been asked to be exposed to um as far as like i said the attitudes and you know some of the abuse honestly that people are throwing at healthcare workers and public health professionals i mean it like i had that facebook group and after COVID vaccines were available, like publicly available, I had to be out. Like I had to get off of social media, take a huge step back because there is just so much abuse and not just on the internet, but also, you know, there are plenty of stories out there about people hurling abuse at, you know, ED docs, um, ED nurses, people who are just trying to do their jobs. Yeah. And you, like you said, you're like a little bit removed because you're not working directly with patients, but I was part of that group and you still dealt with like a lot of people who would hop in that group and have big opinions. And you're like, I'm just trying to put out the information that people need, like, please stop. Yeah. Um, I mean, (laughs) anecdotally, like I had people call me a murderer. I had people come at me about how I was the problem and, basically ruining everything for everybody and the worst person in the whole world. I had a lot of abuse hurled at me. And honestly, the stuff that even I got is not nearly a fraction of what I know a lot of people got. And like, it was a lot for me. Um, And so it's, it is just one of those like, man, I really wish that the ugliest parts of human nature didn't come out in crises. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but that seems to, you see both kind of both sides of the spectrum, as far as like, you see really, really good things, but then you also see really, really bad things. And I think the really, really good things can be inspiring, but they don't stay with people the way that the really, really bad stuff does. Mm -hmm. Um, the bad stuff is what people remember and it's scarring and it's 
the kind of thing where you can have several good things happen, but one bad thing can completely derail like the rest of your life. It could completely yeah. change your trajectory. It could completely change what you want. It could completely change how you, how you see the world, how you, you know, interact with people. It can just kind of completely change everything for, for people. So were you the one that introduced people to your local epidemiologist? I was. Yeah. Okay. So I've been, I've been following her since you, um, since you introduced people to the, to her and I'm part of her newsletter list. And she was literally talking about how she gets death threats and she has Mm -hmm. a list, a list of people who have threatened her. Yep. Yeah. Um, I I, like putting out info. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. I know. And I, once I started to have that list, I was like, I'm, I'm done with this. I don't. (laughs) And so as far as I'm concerned, I, I felt like I could have been a bit stronger about it, but the people that are still out there doing it and are doing it despite all of that vitriol are absolutely amazing to me. Um, just the, the strength that it takes to go through that kind of nonsense and noise and yeah, what 99% of it is just noise. It's just people being keyboard warriors and, you know, being able to hide behind the anonymity of a keyboard. But, you know, there is also that 1% that it's like, well, (laughs) yeah, someone might dox me and then what's going to happen. That's what I was Um, just thinking. The doxing that goes on. Oh, there, there were tons of cases of that during the pandemic, especially of public health people, like epidemiologists across the country. I think This American Life, the podcast, did a whole episode on it, oh on God. people getting doxxed and, and not only having death threats, but like needing to have protection outside of their house 24 hours a day because people had, you know, just been act, actively trying to be violent <laughs> to try to stop them from doing their jobs. That is, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not surprised. Okay. Like this is not a surprised face. Nobody can see it going right. on, <laughs> but it is like still shocking to me that private individuals are having to hire security to keep them safe where we think about like lawmakers, right? Like lawmakers, there's a big thing right now with SCOTUS having to like have you know, protection outside of their house because of protesters. Um, But we're literally talking about everyday individuals who probably can't even afford the security, by the way, having to put security outside of their house to protect them and their families because um, we do have a violent issue in this country, a violence issue Um, And that's for another podcast, but we do have a violence issue in this country and it's scary. Like I always wonder, right. Cause I'm pretty open about like, not specifically where I live, but people know the state I live in. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had to remove certain information from the podcast bio because it literally would make me a target. Um, And I'm always scared. Like, what if I piss off just the right person? And they come for me. Like you could yep. easily find my information on the internet. It's not like, it's not like it's hard anymore, right? Like pre-internet access, it was difficult to find somebody's information, but now pay the right website and you can find anybody's information, which is scary. It's very scary. 
it's, it's very scary. I mean, <laughs> everybody that went into public health, I feel fine speaking for like kind of my entire kind here. Everybody that went into public health, none of us wanted to be celebrities. Like there was yeah. a reason why we went into public health. None of us wanted to be famous. And all of a sudden, you know, in a pandemic, we're all kind of elevated to, to be very public kind of figures. And I mean, very recent, I changed jobs fairly recently. And when I went to my last interview, people knew my name. Um, they knew who I was. <laughs> and it wasn't just because like, oh, this is our candidate. It was like, oh, I remember when you did this. I've yeah. seen, you know, I've heard interviews with you. I've seen interviews with you. I, And this is just, you know, fairly normal and innocuous kinds of interactions, right? This isn't even threatening. But for sure, at this point, my reaction isn't like, oh, good job, Katie. Like you, you might have done some sort of public service. It's more like... I don't know that I want anybody to know who my, like know my name, know who I am. I don't like, yeah. I don't know how much I really want people to know about me. Um, and so it, it is one of those like, okay, this seems okay most of the time, but I'm not worried about most of the time. I am worried about the kind of extreme outliers at this point. Yeah. I can't even imagine the level that you feel. Um, I can only relate on the podcast aspect. I have had, when I lived in Virginia, which is where the highest rate of my listenership is from lives, I can see the stats um, because I used to live there, right? That's where it all got started. I have a large listenership in Virginia. I was in the grocery store one time and somebody recognized my voice (laughs) and it was a little, it freaked me out. And then it freaked me out even more when my kids came home and told me one of their friend's moms listens to my podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is getting pretty serious. Uh, I guess my kids like to brag when I have a podcast, um, <laughs> my littlest ones. And they were talking to one of their friends, you know, about parents and stuff. And like, my mom has this podcast. It's the Inspired Women podcast. And they were like, my mom listens to that podcast. I'm like, oh my God, this is too real. Like, this is like on a level that people now know my kids. I'm a little scared. And so like, yeah, it. I mean, uh, it's not even nearly to the the level you're talking about. Like, you're not going to go somewhere and people like, I know her. Um, (laughs) But it is still scary uh, to like be in a public space and know like it just takes that one wrong person. Yeah. And I I do think there is also that additional layer of being a woman too, of having that notoriety as as a woman, right? Because even... There have been plenty of guys who have gotten a lot of attention, you know, public health professionals, um, healthcare workers during this time, they've gotten plenty of attention, plenty of death threats. I'm not saying that they haven't, but there is always that added extra sexualized component when Mm -hmm. it comes to women in the public eye that I don't know that men experience in the same way. Um, It's just, it's not the danger is just not as much. Um, It's not constantly on their minds um, and they're not getting rape threats the way that like, like, you know, I am or any of the other female uh, public health professionals who were in the spotlight for a while are, I mean, it is, it is just that extra, that extra little awfulness, right? It's all, it's all terrible. Not saying that it's not it, but you do have that extra like, yep, I'm being reminded that there are there's definitely a faction of society that 
looks at me and what I do and are kind of upset that women are in kind of the, you know, participating in the public space still. And as a result, what you get is like, I'm going to rape you. And it's just one of those, like, all of this is incredibly unnecessary, but also taking it to that level. And when you really start having to consider, you know, just all of that when you're just trying to do your job, right? And I and, and in some ways I'm lucky, right? Because I'm I'm a white woman, so I don't have the extra, the extra, extra stuff that gets thrown in there, right? I just get the rape, I just get the rape threats, right? Um, the the like really lucky people only get death threats. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but they aren't racialized death threats, right? They're just the normal run of the mill kinds of things. So it is, it's just this extra, I feel terrible for not potentially participating more in what I was trained to do, but then also being reminded every single day that there are plenty of people that just don't think that people that look like me or people, you know, people need to look in a very specific way in order to participate in the public sphere. And then they need to also believe in a very specific way, even if it is Mm -hmm. completely counter to what your training is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so it just gets ugly very quickly. Yeah, uh, that intersectionality is what you're talking about. Like where you have, if anybody has seen uh, the TEDx or TED talk with Kimberly Crenshaw, and I'll link it up, where she is the person who like coined the term of intersectionality, which is like you have these different identities, and the more of these identities you have that are like marginalized or stigmatized, the higher like your, I guess your level of like harm is like your possibility, like the different things people can attack you on. Right. Like mm-hmm. you said, I'm a white woman. And for you, like the woman por- portion is what people can attack you on. Same for me. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know about your mental health, but being, uh, having bipolar disorders, another thing people can attack me on. Right. But, um, like a black woman now she has like that extra layer of race and then yep. we keep going with that. And it's layer upon layer upon layer. Um, and people, when they attack you, they go after these layers. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I've had people tell me to go take my meds before, like, (laughs) I'm just like, are you freaking kidding me right now? (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? But they'll pick out these little layers of things, identities that you have and go after them. And we, as women are primed to be attacked because we have been since we were young, right? Like we've, we are heightenedly aware of the threats that are out there because we were taught about them. We were yep. taught about how women are at a higher risk of being raped. We are taught how to fight back and that you should carry your keys in between your fingers and you shouldn't walk late at night or you should walk in groups and all these things that we as women were taught to protect ourselves that men weren't necessarily taught or even think about sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, it, like I said, I think in a lot of ways, I'm really lucky because I only got the non-racialized rape threats, right? It's, yeah. um, it's, it sounds like a funny thing to say that, Hey, I am lucky because I only got this. <laughs> like I only got this one layer or, you know, two layers down or however, however you would like to phrase that. But it is just one of those, I have seen it I've seen it be a lot worse for my friends who are in public health and are women of color or, you know, or 
God forbid, even queer and women of color, right? Like they yeah. get, they get a lot of a lot more kind of direct assault on who they are than I do. Mm-hmm. And I had to kind of nope out of that space very quickly because it became too much. So I can like people that have stayed in this game during this whole time are made up of something even stronger than I even that I than I ever could have possibly believed existed. Um, and that strength and tenacity comes from I don't know where, but it is amazing to me. And I like hats off to everybody that really has stayed in the game this long because it's been rough. It's been really, really rough. Um, and it will continue to be rough until we kind of figure out how to actually support everybody who makes up that infrastructure of our healthcare system and our public health system. And I don't have faith that that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, a pessimist, hard. but I mean, we've, we've been in this sphere sphere of people not getting the support that they need for decades. Like, and I don't, I don't have faith that it's going to change. I think we're still going to see those band-aids like, Oh, we're going to do this thing to, you know, placate the masses, but it's, it's not going to have the impact we need it to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's been really hard to be optimistic these days. Um, but I mean, I do know people that are optimistic and boy, do we need those people. Yes, <laughs> We really need those people because I, I am not that person by nature at this point. <laughs> no, I'm not. The, the last couple of years have totally ruined that for me. Now I just have this inner rage. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I, I try mean, really hard not to let out, but it's difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in some ways I, I went back to graduate school during this time because I wanted to shift gears a bit and I just, I needed, I needed a change and I'm, I'm lucky that I was able to go back to graduate school during this time period, but like who in their right mind is like, you know, what I, I think would be a very good decision for my mental health graduate school on top of full-time job. Like very few people actually think that that's a good idea. Um, and so it's, it's just been such a wild period. Um, not just for me personally, but for a lot of people. And I know like, I'm not the only one that has made these kinds of decisions during this time. (laughs) I mean, for me, I can't even relate because I am not, I do not have a full-time job and I'm in graduate school and graduate school is enough. It's enough of a job on its own. It's like its own (laughs) full-time job. (laughs) Um, so Katie, as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? Stay, stay strong, everybody. Um, you're made of tougher stuff than you think you are. Um, I think I've been a bit hard on myself in some ways, but like you are made of tougher stuff than you think you are. And especially if you are a healthcare worker and a public health professional, be, be a little bit easier on yourself. Like allow yourself some grace because it's, it's really hard. And yes, it is hard for everybody. I know it, but Yep. Allow yourself some grace in some ways. Like don't allow yourself grace if you're being a troll to people, but but do allow yourself some grace if you are being hard on yourself about, you know, your job performance or how, you know, if you feel like you are in some ways kind of abandoning your post, like allow yourself 
the grace to really assess what might be best for you. Yeah. Um, and just keep fighting. We need, we need, we need people to keep fighting. <laughs> we always will. Yeah. No job is worth your health and well-being. None. No, 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 it really isn't. Um, that's something I've really had to come to peace with at this <laughs> like in the last couple of years. <laughs> I mean, I can understand that. And I'm super thankful for and, and grateful for all of the public health professionals, because I know that we wouldn't nearly be in this, the space we are without them, right? Like we wouldn't have all these tools, whether they're utilized or not, to combat this pandemic um, without public health professionals. It just wouldn't happen. And it really breaks my heart that there's so many trolls. And I would like to optimistically think that my audience aren't those people, but I am very realistic that I probably have some that listen. I probably have some like hate-fueled listenership. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I see people on my Facebook that are like, I listen to this one podcast, not my podcast, but I listen to this one podcast because I really hate it. And I just want to leave them like really bad reviews and comments. And I'm just like, I probably have those people. <laughs> that just seems like such a waste of energy. It's not how I would like to spend my time um, or energy, <laughs> but I, I mean, that is true. There are people that do do that. Yeah. I mean, I see it on pages. I follow all the time, right? It's the same person that you see commenting the same really nasty stuff on these pages, like posts. And I'm just like, do you not have a life? And why are you following a page that you hate so much? But like those people exist. They thrive off this nastiness. Yeah. Like I said, don't allow yourself any grace if you're being a troll. Actually try to be introspective about it and stop doing it. (laughs) Yes. Because y'all, all of us, but public health professionals especially, do not need added stress in their lives. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks for having me. This was wonderful. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.